came and I answered it. And his mother, one of my 23-year-old staff members' mother, said, Ben, the results came back. He has cancer, and I would like you to be the one to let him know. He was at camp for staff training for his third summer, and I thought, I don't think that there is a textbook on how to break the news to somebody that you have cancer. Or the time that I got the phone call from another mother of one of my staff that her husband, his father, had passed away. And he was in a cabin on an island part of our property, and his pastor drove up, and together we were the the ones who had the opportunity. Or the time where I got a call over the radio that mother was in the office, her daughter was at camp last week, and she, I could hear her yelling in the background. She wanted to talk to the camp director, and she wanted to talk to him right now. And I know walking into this situation, we're going to see red face. We're going to see veins popping. And, um, and, and, and so um, I'm, I'm just, I, had the, I had the opportunity to think through some of the difficult conversations that I've had. But I'm sure if I opened the floor up, we could hear multiple other uh, Stories, real life opportunities for us to learn and grow. Um, so today, I wanted to talk about the art and science of a difficult conversation. And, and let me just use the analogy of a ropes course, primarily because I'm a ropes course facilitator, and it makes sense to me. So let's see if this helps you. In the ropes course, there are hard skills that you must know in order to run a ropes course. We check all of the equipment, the ropes, the harnesses. You need to make sure we check everything twice, once by a facilitator, and you check the the sheath of the rope and you feel the core all the way through to make sure that there's nothing um, that's wrong with that. That's a hard skill that we teach. We teach our staff exactly how to put a harness on a participant, that the waist loop has to be a certain amount of tightness, has to be above the hips, so that if a participant goes upside down, the equipment does not come off. Hard skill. The soft skills, though, are how do you build relationship with the participants so that you can help them push themselves, so that they're willing to take a step into a place where they don't know if they can do it or not, but that they're going to fall into the equipment, the safety system. So the hard skills is the science of it. The soft skills is the art of it. And so as I've begun to think about how do we have difficult conversation, I think there's a soft side, a relational side to it, and then there's some techniques that we can use in different situations that will help us. So that's where I want to go together with our time. And I think if I would choose hard and soft skills, I would err on the side of soft skills every time. You can mess up the technique if you do the art right. So I want to start there because I think that's most important. And then we'll, we'll end with, with some tangible things. So. When you get the phone call that um, we could, many of us could even get today that we're not expecting, the first thing in that moment that I do is I pray for wisdom. 
And I, I rely, this verse right here, if this could be my life verse, um, and, and, and here's why. Um, if any of you lacks wisdom, <clears throat> I qualify, I've been qualified for every single year of my life so far that I lack wisdom. You should ask God who gives generously to all. That phrase right there is um, probably my favorite thing that I get to share with you this morning. That we have a God who is a generous giver, who gives generously to all. Not just some, not just some of the time, but he gives generously to all without finding fault. Okay, this is, this is tremendous. Because yesterday, I messed up again with my daughter or with my wife, and yet today I'm asking for wisdom. And he gives generously to all without finding fault. And then don't miss the last line there. And it will be given to you. If you ask the source of wisdom, he wants to give it to us. He's not going to find fault, and he's going to give it to us. Are there any questions? Workshop done. Partially being serious here because I again like I can teach you some things that I've learned along the way, but everything that I'm going to communicate to you is what God has entrusted to me over the last few years that I've had opportunity to learn and grow. He is the source of wisdom, and He knows how to handle every situation and every person. Because a lot of times, what uh, as we encounter difficult situations, I'm getting ahead of myself. We encounter people. And we encounter difficult people. And God knows why they're difficult. He knows what's going on below the surface. We only see the surface. Which is why we need wisdom. Awesome. Moving on. Number two. As you enter into difficult conversations, if it is a confrontation, Proverbs 12, 16, fools show their annoyance at once. But... The prudent overlooking insight. So if somebody comes into a conversation with me and they're swinging, I need to respond calmly. I need to overlook that initial thing because their problem may not be with me. Most of the time it's not with me. I'm not the problem. I just am the dog that's getting kicked right now. Right? So I have to overlook that insult so that I can navigate this situation and truthfully, so that I can help them navigate this situation. Moving on. Here's what you got to remember. In our approach, we can only control ourselves. Now, if I would give you a lecture on communication, and I could, um, it would be boring. But, um, but 7% of our communication is the words that we use. The other 93% is our paraverbal, which is um, the, the paraverbal, com, com, um, paraverbal is how we say it. So it's how loud we say it, and it's how quietly we say it. It's how fast we talk, it's how slow we talk. That's, that's the paraverbal. And then the nonverbal is our body language. And, and we get this. Um, so, so right now, if, um, just real quick, 50, if 55% of our communication is nonverbal, if you would be sitting here this morning, and this would be an awful workshop, um, you would be, um, so if you could just tell me that this is an awful workshop in your body language, not, don't use any words or paraverbals, just in your body language, communicate to me, this is an absolutely awful workshop. 
Some of you didn't change. <laughs> now I want you to communicate to me that you are sitting on the edge of your seat. This is possibly the best CEA conference you've ever been to. This is so riveting, you cannot miss the next word. With, you see what I'm saying? Like With our body language, we communicate. Now let me pause here to say this is why text messages are not the best form of communication. Okay? This is why emails are not the best form of communication. God designed us to do life on life. Right? That is why in-person education will beat virtual education every single time. Now, hear my heart. I'm not opposed to virtual. I'm just telling you, in person, when God wanted to confront sin, he didn't send Jesus virtually, right? He could have. I guarantee he could have done it. He sent Jesus in the flesh, in person, okay? So as we work with people, the best way to have difficult conversations, unfortunately, is in person. That's the best way to do it. And it's easier to send a text message. It's way easier to craft your words and put it in an email. But they can't read 55%. Actually, if you're reading it, you can't read the other 38%. So all they get is 7%. And I'm just going to tell you, you're going to fall short. Even if they know you, even if they trust you, this happens all the time in my marriage when I send a text message, okay? I'm doing my best. I'm not trying to short circuit, but it falls short. So you, only you can control you. And so as you enter into conversation, in person is the best way to do difficult conversations. Moving on. As you look at your approach, you are talking to a person. All right? They could be angry. They could be mad. They could be um, verbally uh, berating you. But this person is made in the image of God. All right? They have been given the image of God. If possibly they're a parent of a student and they know Jesus... They've asked him, and it was like, they have the Holy Spirit. Now, they're acting out of the flesh, I get it. But if they have the Holy Spirit in them, it matters how I treat them. Period. And I think I said this in my workshop yesterday. It matters because how I treat them is a reflection of how I treat God. Because God is in them. They're not God, and they're not behaving like God. But they have, if they have the Holy Spirit in their life, it matters how I interact with them. So, remember, they, you are working with a person, they have emotions, and they have hurts. We don't know what yesterday was like for them. We don't know what this morning was like for them. And some of us, we look good on the outside. I, I don't know if I qualify fully. <clears throat> But we can shower, we can brush our hair, we can, you know what I'm saying, we, we know how to put on the front, but we can't necessarily cover 
the difficulty and the challenge and the frustration and the anger and the annoyance that we've been dealing with and dealing with and dealing with and dealing with. And all of a sudden, that one last thing is what? Boom. And we know that to be true in our own lives at times. And I guarantee that's true for those when you're having a difficult place. So I, I have to remind myself of these truths. <clears throat> and then Luke, Luke 6, 31, did I, did I give myself that? I, I mean, this is, this is Jesus talking, and he says, treat others the way you want to be treated. Very simple in theory. In theory, right? But in practice, very challenging. Now, I don't have this, this verse listed, um, but, but, but let me give you uh, Philippians 2, verse 13. In the New Living Translation, says, God um, is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. It's God working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. So here's where I go to the bank. I go to the bank, number one, that Christ finished work on the cross and his resurrection, he did all the work of my salvation. Praise be to him and him alone. I go to the bank on, he's asking me to live this Christian walk, this journey, and he's giving me the desire and the power to do what pleases him. I need just as much help over here as I did over here. I don't have to just, see, I grew up in a Dutch work ethic family. I, I just thought if I worked harder, I could become better. If I did my devotions every day, I could become a better Christian. And I, I went to a Christian school. That is, I mean, I'm just telling you, but it's, he is the one who gives me the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That's the only way I can pull this stuff off. So, keep going here. So be like Jesus. Again, I don't want to be cliche, I don't want to be Sunday school, but, but let me just give you this overall approach. In John 1, verse 14... It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, I used to think that um, as we entered situations, we needed to have a balance of grace and truth. Or I thought, you know, in some situations I needed more truth. In other situations I knew Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. And so as we walk, watch him walk and do his ministry, every single interaction, every single day, he's full of grace and full of truth. And so as I approach difficult conversations, and as I approach not difficult conversations, I want to be full of grace and full of truth every day. Good so far? Then I found this verse. Two weeks ago. Luke 2.40. And the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom. This is talking about Jesus. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. So now, I went, oh, let me update this slide. we got to be full of grace, full of truth, and we got to be full of wisdom to know exactly how do we apply that grace and truth as we walk. And I love the little battery icon logo because we get that from our cell phone, right? You know what I'm saying? We understand when we're down, we gotta, we got to recharge, right? And so, so we, we've got to continue to work so that we are able to be full of grace, full of truth, full of his 
wisdom. Awesome. A couple other just um, tips. I don't even know how to say this, but um, number three here, be firm but gentle. And, And here's what I learned a long time ago is I am just as effective if I hold the line quietly as if I'm yelling and screaming and my face is red. As long as I'm holding the line, I'm holding the line. So let me give you an example. I'm sitting down on the waterfront of Grace Adventures, our dining hall. Um, I'm eating lunch, and I look over, and we have a split rail fence. This was a few years ago, surrounding our swim area. The, um, the problem with a split rail fence is it breaks when people sit on it. So we ask kids not to sit on the split rail fence, just out of, um, we don't want to keep fixing it and paying for it. So... A kid I see sit down on the split rail fence, and um, and I see that, and I realize he's doing what we've already asked him not to do. And then I see one of my leadership staff, and he addresses the situation. Love it. He saw what needed to happen. He addressed it. The problem was he addressed it from the patio, and this kid was 50 yards away. You see what I'm saying? And all of a sudden, everybody's attention right on that one kid, right? Whereas if he would have taken 10 seconds and walked over and said, hey, could could you please slide off the fence? We don't want to do it. Nobody, he would have addressed the situation, would have totally handled it. That kid probably would have ever sat down on the fence again, but he would have saved him the embarrassment, right? And so we have to be firm, but we don't, but we have to be gentle. We have to take care of people in the process. So we have to hold the line. I'm not saying don't hold the line. We have to hold the line, but we want to be gentle in the process. Direct and concise. Love this one. No, I don't. I love this one because it's challenging for me. I would rather talk around the subject and talk around the subject and hope that you understand what I'm trying to say than come right out and say, this is what the problem is. Okay? Because the talking around it makes me feel good, I think. But but if if I want something to change, I have to go right to the jugular. I have to be direct. I, I, I realized a long time ago, I want them, my purpose in having this conversation, I need to make sure I get to the purpose. If I don't get to the purpose, I, may have, I, I wasted my time. So I have to get to that first. I have to get to it directly. I can't pass go. I can't collect $200. I need to address the issue. Now, um, If you want to know what this word is, stay afterward. We'll um, we'll go into that with with detail. Um, Because I didn't know, and uh, this young lady in the middle over on this side helped me out. It's going up through the chromatic scale using hand motions and that kind of thing. It's a choir term. Anyway, here's what what I want to go with. Number one, we have chaos and sin that happens in this world, right? Can I get an amen? All right, so we have chaos and sin, and we want to get to a place of harmony and reconciliation. 
address methods and not motives. We want to give the judgment of charity. We want to assume that if I'm having this difficult, now breaking the difficult news to somebody, that's not the, the category I'm talking. I'm talking if I have to have a confrontation and I need to address something that has gone down that has impacted their life, other people's lives, and the organization, I want to address the specific behaviors that were at play. I want to address the observable, what, what I saw, what I read, what I observed, what I experienced. That's what I want to address. I don't want to address them as an evil person with evil intent. See what I'm saying? You want to separate methods from motives. Because a lot of people, their motives are not necessarily wrong. Sometimes they are, but not necessarily wrong. But how they went about doing it, that's the problem. You see what I'm saying? And so we, we need to separate methods from motives. And as we have difficult conversations, we want to speak to the methods. We have to be very careful on the motives. Primarily because in Scripture, it says only God weighs the heart. So we don't get to have that judgment. Okay? Now I'll step back and say this. I think as a parent, God gives us insight into the heart of our children. Okay? And I think there's times where we have to address the heart of our children. I think, I think, anyway, this is not a parenting workshop. <laughs> but this applies to parenting as well. So, the purpose of communication is shared understanding. Alright, so here's, let me say it to you this way. As I have had the privilege of teaching... Um, it's nice when people pay attention. It's nice when people engage. It's nice when I cover all of my material. But the purpose of teaching is not that you cover your material. The purpose of teaching is what? Learning. learning. The purpose of teaching is learning. That the students learn. And so sometimes your first approach doesn't work. You have to come with another approach for different students because the goal is learning. In communication, the purpose of communication isn't just that you say the words. Isn't just that you covered your content. The purpose of communication is coming to a shared understanding. You want them to understand so that you're together, you're saying you, you come to that shared understanding. So, th this is why I can give you techniques and strategies, but you can use those. If you don't come to shared understanding, it's not even worth your time. The shared understanding is what the goal of communication is. And so as we approach difficult conversations... The goal is that we come to the shared understanding to be able to move forward. Awesome. Let me just pause. Any questions or insights? Anything that you would ask or add to what we've covered so far? Go ahead. So back in the, the second section there, where you were talking about being direct and concise? Yes. So, you felt I was a little long in that area? No. Okay. <laughs> Right after that, you say, seek to understand before being understood. So if you're being direct and concise, where are you doing the understanding before you're trying to get your direct and concise? Good, good, good. Thank you. 
so here's when I'm direct and concise, I will often, uh, if I have to invite somebody into my office or I meet them where they're at, I, I set a, a time and a, a place to meet. I will say, here's why we're together, and here's the problem that we need to discuss. I'm going to go right there, and I'm going to establish that right out the chute. And I'll tell them, here's why it's a problem, and I'll go through that. And then I will say, help me understand. And I'll start asking questions, because I want to understand. Sometimes my perspective is skewed. Sometimes I've only seen part of the situation or been told part of the situation. And so I want, I'm going to, I have to go there, but then I'm going to start asking questions so that I get their perspective and their side of the story if they're willing to share. I'm going to give them the opportunity. And I want to understand where they're coming from, what happened from their perspective, um, that sort of thing, before we make a final decision of where we're moving. Yeah, good. Anybody else? Sorry, I bounced around a little bit. Good. All right, so now let's talk some science. Here's why I like science, because there's right answers. I'm a math and science major. Um, first model, and, and I don't think these are going to be um, huge, uh, glorious hallelujah chorus, but, but some simple things that are helpful. Um, the sandwich model, this is especially helpful for, for young kids. Um, you want to start with praising them. Here's, so, so even with that leadership staff who confronted the kid on the fence, I pulled him aside and I said, hey, I want you to know I appreciate you enforced the rules this morning. You saw what needed to happen and you addressed it. That is exactly what I'm asking you to do. Now let me give you a recommendation. Next time, rather than yelling at 50 yards, walk over. If you do that, you're going to be more effective in your leadership, and I'm confident you want to learn and grow, because I've seen that in other areas. I just did the sandwich model. I praised him, I gave him the, the correction, and then I set vision, I praised him again. And he was a great staff of mine. He just did that scenario he could have done differently. Okay? That wasn't a difficult conversation, but, but, but I've had others where, because I want people to know I'm for you. I, I had a, a previous intern that I, have, I had to say some things to this young man about his ability to do social interactions. He, he, he was socially awkward, and, and he made a ton of mistakes. And, and part of it was he came from a family where his dad was absent and his mom was um, struggling with mental illness. And so he didn't have a home life that walked alongside of him and taught him how to act in society. Which meant somebody, thank you, Lord, had to address body odor, had to address, you know what I'm saying, social interactions that are obvious to the rest of us. And I'm saying to this kid, like, you need to do this. This will help you in your life. And then I came back and I said, now what do you hear me saying? Because I want to make sure we're shared understanding. And the first thing he said, he said, Ben, what I hear is that you're for me. And I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. Because I'm thinking, I'm going to offend this kid. I've said to this kid things that I've never said. i never said to anybody else. And he goes, I, I hear that you're for me. And I'm like, that's what I want you to know. I'm for you. That's why I'm giving you this. 
If you start doing these things, it's going to help you be more effective. So, so we have to, I don't know how that relates to the sandwich model. It, it should somehow. Make that connection on your own later. Because sometimes people only hear the correcting part of it. They only hear the correcting. Thank you. You're helping me out. It's awesome. Now, this is a model that we use for giving feedback. It's called the risk model. If you use the first letter, report, impact, specify consequences. Report, impact, specify consequences. So a few years ago at uh, Grace Adventures, we have our camp on the beautiful lake called Upper Silver Lake. And we have a wake rule that before 11 a.m., you cannot drive with a wake. It is a wonderful thing. If you are a fisherman or a kayaker, it is a terrible thing if you are a camp director. And it just would be nice to start wake at 10.30 because then you could get a two-hour rotation activity block in. But we can only start at 11. And so I train my staff to drive the speedboat. And um, here's, before you do the activity, you got to warm up the speedboat, and then you drive kids. And, and, and I forgot one year to tell my staff about the 11 o'clock wake rule. So at 10.50, my faithful, obedient, submissive staff member climbs in the speedboat to warm it up so that she's ready at 11, which is what you do in every other activity that we run. She's doing exactly what I asked her to do, flies down the speed, down the lake, and flies back. Grumpy old man, 70 years old, jumps into his Boston Whaler, drives over, and yells at my staff member for breaking weight. Two hours later, when she's finished with that block, this staff member is crying in my office. Embarrassed, shamed, you know what I'm saying? Didn't, didn't know she was doing it. Whose fault is it? Right here. Not even her fault. First thing I have to do is apologize to her. Second thing I have to do is I have to go confront a grumpy old 70-year-old man, and I need to communicate to him the impact of what he just did. And I'm wrestling because he's 70 years old. He should know this. God, why do I have to be the one to teach him? <clears throat> but I was the one who made the mistake. <laughs> it wasn't her fault. It was mine. <clears throat> so I walk over and visit 70-year-old gentleman. He's out on the end of his dock, of course. So I have to walk all the way around the house, and I walk out to him. And, um, and I used this technique when I confronted him. The first thing you do is you report what happened. I said, sir, this is what happened this morning. Our staff member broke the weight rule. Okay? And um, when she did that, you were correct that she was wrong, and you addressed the situation. And number one, I want you to know I appreciate that. Because I can't be everywhere when, where my staff are. I'm, I'm actually good with you confronting my staff. But I need you to know, number one, I forgot to teach her the wake rule. It's on me, and I want to apologize to you. That was my fault. It won't happen again. I've let all of my other speedboat drivers know this summer. So it won't happen again. I apologize. But I need you to know when you came over, and now I shifted down to the impact, and you berated her in front of all the campers and staff on shore, you made her feel this big, and you, you hurt her in that process. That's the impact. Then you need to specify 
what could they have done differently? I said, man, if this type thing would happen again, if you would just pull your boat up and you would explain to her the problem and you would teach her what she would need to do differently, I said, I would appreciate it. Now I'm getting to consequences. I would appreciate it, and you would demonstrate for her, because she has to confront campers all summer long, and she has to correct them all summer long. You would show her a better way to go about this, and it would help her be more effective in her job. Thank you, and have a great day. <laughs> and I walked away. Well, one of the things I love about that story, which is why I use it as an illustration, is the next week when she was driving again, he actually came out and he apologized to her. I didn't, ex- I didn't tell him to do it. I didn't expect it of him. But he chose to apologize to her. There was reconciliation. Now, that doesn't happen every time. There's no guarantee. But in Romans chapter 12, I think it's verse 18, it says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. So we're only responsible for our end of the deal. We can't, we can't be responsible for how they react. We have to give this feedback even when it's difficult and we can help people this way. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, this note also works for positive feedback. When you say, hey, this is what you did, and you can, spe- you can report the positive impact of their behavior, and you're very specific, this helps people as well when you give them positive feedback, not just constructive feedback. Now, you don't always have to do the second two steps because what they're doing is what you want them to be doing. But if they keep doing that, they're going to they're gonna increase their effectiveness. They're going to have a positive impact on your classroom, on your organization. You, know you, you can go there. This works both ways. That's the risk model. Um, perfect. Um, moving on to breaking difficult news. As you have the opportunity... And I use the word opportunity on purpose because at Grace Adventures, our president, Steve Prudhomes, we don't have problems at Grace Adventures. I've worked there now for 21 years, and I can assure you we've had many situations that I would have referred to as problems. But he calls them opportunities. We don't have problems. We have opportunities because we have opportunities for our growth, and we have opportunities for others' growth. And so every situation that we come into is an opportunity for growth. But if when you have the opportunity to deliver difficult news, number one, acknowledge the challenge. I'm, I'm here today, and I'm about to have a very difficult conversation with you. This is really hard for me, and I don't know if I'm going to do it well. I, that's how I, I just lead with that line. Please, I'm finding myself here. I want you to know this is going to be challenging. Acknowledge it. And then break the news. And this is where direct and concise, I think, is the best way. Because our brain, I think, works like you've got to hear that. And all of a sudden, when you hear that, you know what I'm saying? So you have to deliver. You can't beat around the bush. You have to go right there. And then, um, and then in the wrap-up, 
you say, what can I do? How can I support you? What, what do you need from me in this moment, in this time? And I've had, I've had people say, I, I, I need a half hour. I, I need a, can, I, can I take an hour? Yeah, go. We'll, we'll cover for you. Um, and, and so um, that, that's just breaking difficult news is just not fun, period. The 23-year-old young man who I had the uh, privilege of breaking the news of cancer to is now cancer-free. He's in his 30s, and I still connect with him um, monthly. And I think it's because we walk through that season together. Um, and, and I only say that because I want to I uh, kind of wrap up here with a, a little pep talk for, for us. Is, would you go back to the talking to someone who's very upset? Would I go back to what? Number three, talking to someone who's very upset. Talking to somebody who's very upset. That is not in my notes. So that's on my handout? Uh-huh. Yes. <clears throat> just just wing it. Yep. <laughs> I will. <laughs> I wrote I wrote the handout. Can you You can read it right on your handout. <laughs> so here we go. When somebody's upset, you need to remove the audience. That mom who was angry about our, one of our staff members and what happened in the cabin, the first thing I did was, ma'am, can we step outside? We walked outside. I walked next to her, and I just needed to listen, Okay. But here's what I want to do. I want to take them, and I, I think in, in words and pictures, I, I think in pictures and, and illustrations, I want to take them from level two, like story two, I want to bring them back to ground level. Because if they're angry and upset, they are not always rational. When somebody is not rational, you cannot have a rational conversation with them. Until they're rational, you can say what you want to say, but they're not being rational. So you have to. But, so what my goal is, I want to get them to a place of becoming rational. That's, so I'm going to remove the audience. I'm going to um, ask questions to understand. And then I'm going to repeat their answers in my own words so that they know I'm understanding what they're telling me. I'm hearing and I'm responding, and they know, even if I don't agree, even if I don't admit to being wrong yet, I just want them to know I hear you. Here's what I hear you say. You're upset because this happened in the cabin last week with your cabinet. Now, here's what I want to let you know, ma'am, is that if that what is the case... And from your perspective, I get, but if that's the case, that is outside of the boundaries of what we do. Now, you're the first person to tell me this, so I have to go do some investigation, and I will get back to you. Because I didn't know this happened, or I would have already addressed it, right? So, so I, need to, I need to bring them down, then I need to have a rational conversation, and then I want to figure out, is this my fault, or is this their fault? Because there's some people, even when it's their fault, 
they can't admit it's their fault. So they're going to be mad at something or somebody, even if it's their fault. Now, here's why I specify that division. Because I can only own what's my fault. I can't own what's their fault. So that's one of the reasons why I'm asking questions, because I'm trying to figure out what part did I have to play in this, and what part didn't I have to play in this. Because I can only own my part. Now, I might not tell them. I might not verbally say this out loud to them. So this part's your fault. <laughs> that doesn't go well, right? But, but in my mindset, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Is this my fault or their fault? Because I can only handle what's on, on me or us. If I'm representing my staff, our organization, I can only own what we did. Okay? D, ask what the best outcome is for them. D is not my my line. D is from our campground manager. We have a family campground, Dudes Harbor Family Camp. Any of you ever camped at Dudes Harbor? Thank you. Good. Awesome. The rest of you should know. Anyway. Uh, this is not a sales pitch. At Dudes Harbor, we have had a customer or two that have been unsatisfied. Okay? This happens whenever you work with people. You can have a perfect business model. You will have dissatisfied customers who are angry and upset. And he said, one of the things I learned in my first summer was I always ask them, what's the best outcome? Because if we just refund them their money, but they want sites to be moved so that they're next to their family, giving them money is not going to satisfy them. So ask them, what's the best outcome from your perspective? Because if it's moving sites... If you can do something, maybe not today, but tomorrow, that's a better outcome than just giving them their money back. And I went, brilliant. Point number D, letter D. Ask them what the best outcome is for them. I understand you're upset. I understand this is what went down. From your perspective, what would you like to have happen? So they can de define that. Because sometimes they haven't done that yet. They haven't done that work. What are they really hoping for? They know they have to give you a piece of their mind. That's already been done. Check. But what's the result that they're hoping for? Now, you can't guarantee it, but for you to know it, I'd rather know it and know that I can deliver than think that I'm delivering what I'm really not. Right? Because the purpose is shared understanding. So this is going to help me come to shared understanding. And then E, offer what you can. Make things right. As far as it depends on you, make things right. Offer what you can. If you can't move sites, what you can do is give money. I, that's what I can do. I can't. I'm sorry. But this, this is what I'm able to do with the authority that I have. And if you have to go and get higher authority, you can do that as well. Um, I have that frequently where I, I only have authority to do this much, you're asking for more, so I'm going to have to go and ask some questions, and I'll come back, and I'll let you know. Because I don't, I don't have permission to do what you're asking me to do. Okay. What else did I skip on this one? <laughs> awesome. All right, so here's coming down to the good news then. This is kind of my uh, end of my workshop pep talk for us. All right? Here's the good news. Difficult conversations are possible because things don't just go away. Okay? So, so here's the good news is um, 
difficult conversations do improve relationships. Maybe not every time, but it does help many times. Okay? So it's worth doing. If you can get to the unity and harmony, you can get there. Okay? Difficult conversations can make things better. And if you're going to live in misery, you may as well try something. Right? It, it, people are often understanding, even if you make mistakes along the way. And, and I just... Because I taught the workshop yesterday, people are looking and they are they're they're looking at and reading your spirit toward them. And so you can make mistakes on the technique, but if they know that you're for them and that you care, they are willing to be forgiven most of the time. Okay? So even if you make mistakes and how you do this and that kind of thing, if they know you care, that matters. God is often molding and shaping me in this process. That is good news. That is not easy news. But that is good news because he wants me to learn and grow and he and I get to learn and grow through this experience. And actually, we learn and grow through difficulty oftentimes a lot more than through luxury. Right? And so God uses these things to mold and shape us in the process. Difficult conversations can be an investment in others' lives. Yes, they can. Yes, they can. God can use you to speak truth that somebody else needs to hear. And I have had people come back to me 10 years later and say, at the time, I didn't appreciate it and I didn't understand, but today I'm thankful that you had that difficult conversation and I was able to invest in that person's life. You see, every time I have a problem with one of my staff, it's an opportunity for me to speak truth and invest in their life. And when I changed my perspective and realized, God, you're giving me the chance to invest in people's lives, that's what I want to be about. I want to invest in people's lives. And it's not just through the, hey, rah, rah, good job. It's also through the, hey, you don't want to ever do that again. That's investment. And loving them, even when you have to say that, that's investment. And so difficult conversations are an investment in other people's lives. Life goes on after the conversation. Oh, difficult things can make things better. Did I say that already? I thought I did. Maybe that was on the last slide. Anyway, life goes on after a conversation. Sometimes we get so worked up, we need to remember the big picture. And... Maybe I'm just speaking out loud for myself, but I'm guessing some of you, if I experience this, I get, I, like, my emotions, like, because I hate confrontation, like, I, I think about it, I pray about it that morning, and, and I'm rehearsing in my mind how I'm going to go through it, and, and I just have to remember, like, at 3 o'clock today, I have the meeting at noon, but at 3 o'clock today, I'm still going to go to the soccer field, and I'm going to coach that group of boys in soccer, and so life is going to go on. Right? I mean, even if this situation doesn't get the exact resolution that I want, I have to go, life goes on, and I have to just realize that this is not the center of the world and the universe. I have to deal with it, but I, 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 I need to just remind myself of the, the big picture. Finally, 
difficult conversations are sometimes being faithful to what God has called you to do. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Because he's put you in that place at that time in this situation and he wants you to be the one to deal with it. I had to, a few years back, God laid on my heart. He said, Ben, I need you to go and confront the president of the organization on this specific thing. And I walked into his office, and I closed the door, and I talked to our president. I used the feedback model, and I had to give him specific feedback. And I did not want to do it, and everybody else in the organization was aware of what this was happening, and it wasn't terrible it, it just was a problem. And I walked in and I addressed him on it. And he listened to me. And when I was done, he looked at me and he said, thank you, Ben. He said, I appreciate that you have the nerve to confront me on this. He said, my wife has already talked to me about it. And I want you to know that I'm going to be making some changes. But I appreciate that of all the staff, you're willing to do that. Because you value our relationship. And so I just share that, not to pat myself on the back, but I have to motivate myself because I don't like confrontation. I really don't like confrontation with somebody in, in authority over me. Okay? And so I just have to remind myself that um, difficult conversations are being faithful to what God has called me to do. And he clearly told me I needed to do that confrontation. I didn't want to, but I had to be faithful. And he was at work already before me, and then he used that conversation as well. So that is uh, what I have on the handouts. If you have six minutes, I want to take just a, um, a minute here to say, are there questions, are there thoughts, anything that, that um, go ahead. Um, I'm just thinking back to um, talking to someone who's very upset. Yes. Um, so... I'm the principal, and I'm thinking of a, a phone call that I had where um, the parent escalated pretty quickly. Yep. And um, I kind of said, like, you know, I, I think we should take some time. I think we should talk about this later. You know, let, let's just step back for a minute. And um, she was just trying to pull me in and pull me in and pull me in. And I just, I guess I have... All right, I'm looking for if you have any tips for when you're trying to, to get that distance so people can get back to rational thought, mm-hmm. um, when they're kind of unwilling to, to take the break. Um, have you found any strategies that help? So, A... This is this is my technique here. Let's 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 do this together. Um, so let me let me add. But if there's other thoughts, because here's what I know: we all have experience in this. So one of my thoughts is, I would say in a phone conversation, can I set a time that you and I can talk about this tomorrow? Because one of the things people do not want to be blown off. If it's hey, can we talk later? That's not a specific date and time. If it's, can we meet tomorrow at 9 o'clock, and I will fit you in my schedule, I hear what you're saying, but this is going to, you know what I'm saying, like, that if people realize you're not blowing me off, you're going to give me the time of day, I think that's one thing that I found helps people be more receptive to a little bit of time and space. Which... Um, 
The, and, and so one of the things is when, when people are angry and, and irrational, they don't have control. And, and we got to get them to a place where they have control of their emotion and that kind of thing. And so that's where, um, again, you can't say, hey, you don't have control right now. Um, and so, but, but in your mind, you go, this person is out of control. How, how can I get them to a place of having control again? That's, that's what my goal is. And so if it's listening for 10 more minutes and, and, and still not pr progressing, you, you can say, I feel like we're not making progress right now. Could we meet tomorrow? Um, I, I had it where um, I wasn't making progress with a, um, in a certain situation, and I said, can, can I, I, I feel like we're, we're not making progress. Is it possible for us to bring somebody else into this situation? And so I brought somebody else in to help navigate because we, we, we were talking and I was hearing what they were saying, but we weren't making progress and I needed help. And so I called in help. Somebody else said, go ahead. Different topic. Okay. You talked about we need to address the methods, not the motives. But sometimes there's motives that are wrong. Mm -hmm. And so how, is there, how do you... I mean, it's obvious they, they did things because they know they were wrong. Yep. Yep. So here, here's what I'm going to say. Um, so, but, but, but here's where I, the counter argument in my mind is this. There are times where somebody in the moment makes a selfish decision. It's obviously selfish. Okay? However, in their heart of hearts... They're, when they made that selfish decision, they weren't trying to have a major negative impact on my life and other people's lives. They were honestly, they were only thinking about themselves, right? Their, 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 their motive was selfish, but it wasn't evil toward me and toward other people in that sometimes moment. Sometimes it is evil toward other people. That's what I'm getting at. They, sometimes they purposely want to inflict harm on another person. So, um, yep. <laughs> Fire up. Any other? So here's here's the thing: is and we hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people, and so that's where I want to try to understand: where are you hurting? And then help you understand when you do this, you hurt other people. And, and, I, and, and, and a lot of times I try to establish, if I'm working with one of my staff members, this, I, I saw that this went down and it was a selfish decision. Okay? But I know in their heart when they signed on to come to this role, this position, they wanted to impact people, kids with Jesus Christ. That's why they signed up this summer. So we're, we're in agreement on this we have to address this situation because this doesn't align with this. And I know you signed on for this. So I'm not questioning that motive. You see what I'm saying? And, and I found that that can be helpful. Even if it was a selfish decision. And that's the other thing too is as I enter that situation, I know it was a selfish decision. But I remind myself, Ben, you are selfish too. You're not better than this person. You're just as selfish. You just do it in a different way over here. 
And so now I'm coming in. I'm not berating that person. I'm coming in right alongside them. And I have to confront because I'm in authority and I have responsibility. But we're right here before Jesus Christ. And that matters because they feel the difference. Anybody else? I'm going to only ask one thing to tell you. Physical behavior like that is communicating something. So uh, you have, we have a saying there are not problem children, children with problems. So if you go back yep. and focus on the behavior and find the reason why the behavior is happening, you still may have to have a logical consequence or a specific punitive consequence yep. based upon what physical activity is. Yep. But at the same time, your responsibility is to also teach and find out with the parent or in that situation what caused that behavior and what happened with that. So the fact that it did happen, you have to find out why it happened because anything with behavior communicates something. And, and part of your job, our job, is to find out what's the foundational issue. So, so thank you for affording me a little bit more time. I would say if you know uh, it was evil, I, I think you still you have to address in that situation, you have to address the evilness. I think you address the heart. And if, if, if you say, I'm not, co- I'm not confident, but here's what I'm going to tell you. If I look at this, this is what it's telling me about your heart. You, you're going to be the judge of your own heart. But this is what it looks like from the outside. And it looks like you did this in a mean-spirited way. And that, sh- that would, I'm just telling you, for people looking at what happened, it looks mean-spirited and it looks like you set out to maliciously hurt someone. And that is unacceptable. But in our organization and before God. I, I, I think you can love somebody enough to address it that way. So thank you. Yep. 10 o'clock, 10.02. You guys are out of here. Have a great rest of your conference.